You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast in the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. This week is a very important one in the history of the telecommunications industry. This Thursday, the largest U.S. telecom companies, which have been silenced from talking M&A with each other for more than a year, can finally get down to business. So I'm talking about Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint, Dish Network, U.S. Cellular, and even some cable companies that are toying with getting into wireless, like Comcast and any others that participated in the government's wireless spectrum auction. So who will end up as mating partners after this long delay? We expect talks to begin almost immediately due to all the pent-up demand. Joining us to help you understand what makes sense and what doesn't, what's potentially a bit harder to rationalize, are Bloomberg Wireless reporter Scott Moritz and media reporter Jerry Smith. Welcome, guys. Hey, Alex. Hey. So the way I want to structure this episode is to go one by one among the major players who expect who we expect to engage in actual deal discussions. But first, Scott, just explain for us what a wireless spectrum auction is and why exactly the big U.S. telecom companies haven't been able to talk about M&A for the past year. Right. I think they're the only ones that haven't been able to talk about it because we've been writing about it for endlessly. Yes, we can talk about it. Right. <laughs> Every day for a year. But yeah, uh, so the spectrum auction is based on uh, the FCC wants to raise some money and and free up some airwaves for the wireless companies. To do that, they convinced some broadcasters to sell their unused, basically UHF frequencies. That's the stuff you used to use when you had TVs with antennas. Uh, they weren't using much of it, so they, they, they agreed to sell some of it. So it, then the uh, FCC turned around and sold that or offered it up in, in an auction to uh, the wireless companies or anybody who wanted to participate. Uh, during that period, um, obviously, you don't want one company talking to another that's bidding because they might, you know, arrange some sort of uh, agreement to buy certain cities and then come together as a as a merger later on or something like that. And they wouldn't have to bid against each other, right? Exactly. You just want the highest bid. So to do that, they they would just prevent anyone from talking. Uh, Anti collusion rules, for example, would 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 be the reason for that, I guess. And now, as this uh, auction and you know ends, it's en- it ended about a week ago. Uh, they're just wrapping it up, the formalities, and now we enter this period where they can talk. And just so that everyone understands, um, this broadcast spectrum can just simply be repurposed for mobile phones? It's that easy? Yep. It's uh, it's the kind of airwaves that are low frequency, meaning they travel uh, short distances and through walls and windows, which is key. Uh 
back in the day when you had t- TV in your house, you could just put that little rabbit that you're on your ho- on your TV and you'd get the signal, and it was actually live video. Today, the same thing, uh, the, but the carriers will be beaming that through your windows and walls to reach you on your phone or tablets or whatever. All right, so let's start with T-Mobile, because I think T-Mobile may have the most potential suitors and may be sort of the biggest wild card of all, just because it could go in so many different directions. So the most obvious one, Scott, is Sprint, right? And why does that deal make sense? And then maybe we can talk about some of the complications of that deal. (laughs) Right. Well, uh, the reason that deal is so prominent is that one of the richest men in the world, uh, Masayoshi's son, has stated that that's his goal. He wants to put Sprint and T-Mobile together, the number three and number four wireless competitors in the U.S., wants to get them up to a scale where presumably they can compete with the, the dominant players, that's Verizon and AT&T. He ran that up a flagpole in 2014 in D.C. and got, a, a, you know, on, on, on no uncertain terms, the regulator said that would not happen. We need to have a four-carrier market. In retrospect, uh, that's led to a lot of price cuts. Consumers have benefited quite a bit. Uh, there's been a lot of competition in the wireless industry. So now uh, <clears throat> with a new administration, new regulators, there's this opportunity perhaps to take another run at that deal. Which is funny because on the surface what you just said was the decision to allow four carriers has worked out great, <laughs> so why not get rid of it? <laughs> uh, so, so look, I think that is an outstanding question, though, whether or not this would actually fly in a Trump administration. But we know that Massa's son has already made an effort in the first few months of the Trump administration to meet with Donald Trump, mm-hmm. to speak with him on several occasions, to promise a big investment in the United States. So I don't think it's a, it takes a rocket scientist to figure out maybe he's doing this to grease the wheels to push forward some sort of sprint Timo deal. Definitely. And Sprint, we should say right here, has zero chance of surviving without doing some kind of deal because they have incredible amounts of debt and they're still losing money and their subscriber gains are are not enough to offset any of that. So that leads us into the complication, I think, here, which is when this thing was proposed a couple years ago, Sprint would have been the buyer. They were bigger. (laughs) So so to some degree, the cards were in Masa-san's hands more because as long as T-Mobile was willing to do a deal, he could offer the price and be the buyer. Yep. That has flipped, mm-hmm. and now Masa would theoretically have to sell and lose control over Sprint, thus losing some of the control over this deal because you're going to need a willing buyer for a company that you just said absolutely needs a deal. Do we have any indication if T-Mobile wants to buy Sprint? And if so, why do they want to take on such a struggling company? Oddly, T-Mobile being the third carrier is still not large enough to compete on its own against Verizon and AT&T, and they acknowledge that uh, whenever asked. So they know that consolidation has to happen, whether it's uh, Sprint, which is, isn't your perfect partner necessarily because they bring a lot of uh, baggage, debt and losses, et cetera. But whether that's your, your best offer, it's not clear, but there are, you know, cable companies out there looking to get into the wireless business. So T-Mobile probably has an opportunity. All right, great segue. All right, Jerry. So another (laughs) option for T-Mobile is Comcast. Why does that deal make sense and why doesn't it make sense? Well, Comcast is looking at the way that people are watching TV now and they're on their phones. And, you know, they're, you know, Comcast just introduced a wireless service and then they did this through um, what's called an MVNO. But essentially they're 
um, reselling Verizon's wireless service to Comcast subscribers. Now, a lot of analysts are saying, we don't think Comcast is just going to stop at this. Comcast says, this is our strategy for now. But analysts are saying, you know, maybe Comcast could end up just buying um, a wireless company. And that way they don't have to, you know, do that. They don't have to, they have terms with Verizon that may not be attractive. Um, and so owning an entire wireless company would be a way to get into the wireless business in a much more economic way, according to some analysts. Is their agreement with Verizon potentially a sticking point about why they wouldn't want to buy T-Mobile? In other words, if they already have this agreement with Verizon, would they necessarily want to own T-Mobile? Which is, they'd have to obviously break the deal with Verizon, I, I would think. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the terms are with Verizon. I mean, it's, you know, for right now, Comcast, I think, is is still probably going to, I mean, they're testing this out. They're trying to see how much demand there is in their subscriber base for a wireless service. And they say that they're content to, for now, to continue, you know, selling wireless service through Verizon. Um, but there is, you know, they are getting the, they're watching more and more data on their phones and the Verizon, you know, they're buying this per gigabyte from Verizon and they're reselling it. And, and the economics, you know, might not be as attractive as if you actually owned a wireless network. By the way, I should note here, as we talk about Comcast, T-Mobile, uh, T-Mobile CEO, John Ledger, uh, is a fairly outspoken individual. Um, if you don't know him, Google him and and uh, listen to him or follow him on Twitter. Uh, T-Mobile just announced earnings where Ledger called that Verizon Comcast deal the biggest non-announcement ever in the history of the wireless industry and then went on to describe Comcast as, quote, by far the most hated corporation on the planet. <laughs> so, again, I don't, I don't know if you want to antagonize a company that may come around and buy you, but that may be a sign that he isn't expecting a Comcast deal to happen, maybe as much as either Sprint or our third player here, the contestant number three, Dish Network. Uh, Scott, why does Dish make sense, and how might that deal be structured? So Dish is this strange outlier in all this M&A talk. They have acquired uh, almost more spectrum than, than the – well, they've acquired as, as much airwaves as, as most carriers have. Uh, they don't have a wireless network to provide any kind of cellular service. They just uh, have been holding these airwaves, which makes them an, a, a curiosity in that to make their spectrum work, they have to either be bought or acquire some network operator, like they made a run at Sprint once not too long ago. DISH would figure into anyone's plans, like a cable company that doesn't have much spectrum, they could buy Dish and immediately get uh, you know a full assortment of airwaves to cover the whole country and start off a service. They'd still need to build a wireless network, which would be a lot of money, but uh, Dish would get them that. Um, the, the future is mobile, so I, you know you got to think these cable companies are making long-range plans that would be quite, quite expensive. Whether it involves Dish is is not clear. Um, Meanwhile, Verizon needs always needs spectrum. They have the biggest network, the most customers, and the fewest amount of airwaves per customer. They're desperate for some new uh, sources of capacity, which would be airwaves from DISH. Though they've said pretty publicly that they're not interested. Uh, we had their CEO in here recently who uh, reinforced those thoughts, although he said at a right price. Obviously, they, they would take another look at DISH. 
Right, and the price is somewhat constrained because Dish is a publicly traded company, so it, they'll have to pay sort of what the market indicates they should pay, which may be the biggest hurdle for any deal with Dish. Uh, Dish currently has a $28.5 billion market cap, but a lot of that value, and this is what uh, uh, telecom analyst Craig Moffat has said to me for years, a lot of that value is the wireless spectrum that they have acquired, or at least some of it, uh, rather than their core business of satellite TV. And the problem with that is, as soon as you start using the wireless spectrum, it immediately, theoretically, loses its value because it's now an operational asset rather than something that you're simply buying, like you'd be buying it out of the auction. So from a, from a balance sheet perspective, uh, you would have to make sure that there was uh, a return on the investment of buying the spectrum. So if you're going to pay for pure spectrum, you need to, let's say, add customers. That would be That's the value of the spectrum. You, you, you increase your service, and therefore you get some sort of result out of increasing the service. It puts a lot of pressure on a company that were to buy Dish because they would have to make sure that they were buying it for a price that was uh, reasonable enough to be like, okay, we're buying the spectrum, and therefore we will add X amount of customers. That's one problem. The second problem is Dish acquired a lot of this spectrum by buying it from the wireless auctions themselves, wireless auctions in which companies like Verizon and T-Mobile participated and chose not to buy that spectrum. So Dish's argument here would be the spectrum that you chose not to buy, I now want you to buy, and I want you to give me a premium on top of that. It, it could be obvious, but I would think that a company like T-Mobile or Verizon would say, why on earth would we do that? We could have just bought this at the time. Is that fair? <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> right. Uh, you got to think of Dish in, in maybe in this scenario, maybe in the long view. Um, Charlie Ergen, who runs Dish, has been a believer in Spectrum from the get-go. He, he stockpiles it. He, the value continues to go up, although it's down from its record levels. But uh, over time, this is limited property in a market that's expanding. He could sit on this for 20 more years and probably turn, you know, turn it into gold like, like uh, he has so far. Although so. there is a deadline on some of the spectrum, right? He does need to start to put some of that spectrum into use. He does. He's gotten waivers in the past. Now he's uh, rolled out a little bit of a, what do you call, Internet of Things operation to get some of the spectrum into service, so to speak. It's not really service to your phone, but to some gadgets, maybe. Uh, but yeah, it's buying him some more time, which he's, he's an expert at this, so I don't, I don't have any doubt that he'll work that out. All right, let's turn back to the cable industry and talk about Comcast and Charter. So we mentioned Comcast as a buyer for T-Mobile. Do we think a Verizon Comcast deal is even possible? It would be very expensive for either company. Um, I mean, one thing that is worth noting as far as why Verizon would be interested in Charter or Comcast is, you know, the future of wireless is, is 5G. It's a super fast cell phone service. Um, and it's not just about the wireless spectrum, but there's what's called fiber backhaul. It's essentially the wireless companies need um, a cable company to sort of provide the backhaul for this the future of wireless. So Verizon might look at Comcast or, or Charter and look at their, you know, their fiber infrastructure, and, and that would 
help them get to that 5G that they're talking about. So Verizon Charter makes some sense from that standpoint. The holdup there, I think, would be the price, from my understanding. Uh, Charter wants $500 a share or more. It's currently trading at $343 a share. So that's an enormous premium, uh, considering the dollar figure that we're talking about here. Verizon has other options, Scott. If they don't want to go down the infrastructure route, what else did Lowell McAdam tell you last week? Yeah, you know, um, he was pretty candid about what his options were. And and, uh, in addition to talking about how he needed fiber and in a lot of places, which would include, you know, a a charter deal or a Comcast deal in, in that scenario, he also said that he would take calls from, you know, Disney, Iger, and also uh, C- CBS, uh, interesting pivot to, uh, you know, a media kind of profile, which, uh, you know, it's sort of like AT&T, AT&T has done now with its attempt to buy T- uh, Time Warner. Um, it all makes sense, especially when your core business, this wireless business, has become an incredible street fight, I, w- I would call it, between uh, prices of unlimited uh, being as low as they are now against other carriers with the same low prices. It's just no, there's no win there. So we'll be following AT&T. We might as well mention AT&T. I'm assuming that it's safe to say that they're tied up for the meantime with Time Warner. They're not going to be a player here. They have not entered many discussions, given that they have this $85 billion deal on their plate. So we have Dish uh, being a potential target from Verizon or maybe doing a deal with T-Mobile. Again, Dish would probably be the target in that situation, given the size Comcast, Verizon. One other deal we might as well throw out there. Is there any chance Comcast could buy Charter? They tried to buy Time Warner Cable, and that deal was sort of nixed by regulators. In this new Trump administration, same logic as we just talked about with Sprint Timo. Any chance Comcast could try to buy Charter? I think analysts are putting it at around 5 to 10% chance. So it's it's not zero, but it's, it's slim. I mean, it's, um, you know, like you said, I mean, Comcast, um, I think, is still licking its wounds from trying to buy Time Warner Cable a few years ago and getting blocked in, in Washington. But, um, you know, it's a new it's a new era under Trump. Maybe there's a possibility that they'd be um, more favorable about something like that. Certainly in the cable business, the more subscribers you have, the better. Um I mean, another thing about Comcast and Verizon is that, you know, an, an analyst points out to me that Brian Roberts, this is a family business. He took this business over from his dad. He would be probably very unwilling to sell. Uh, and if he was a buyer, he's not the type of person who does small deals. When he wanted to get into content, he went after Disney and that didn't work out. But then he went after NBC Universal and bought NBC Universal. He tried to buy Time Warner Cable, which was the second biggest cable company. So if he's looking to buy, um, you know, this analyst said he, he maybe he's more interested in someone like Verizon, who's the big, you know, the big fish. All right. So to wrap up here, throwing a lot at you. Let's do predictions because none of these companies have been able to talk to each other. So that, so we're, we're, we're free and clear here. We have zero knowledge, literally zero knowledge, because nothing has actually happened yet. One deal that you think happens, Jerry, what is it? I mean, I think the Sprint T-Mobile deal is the one that most people are probably looking at right now. Scott, do you agree? Is that is that the deal or is there something else? You know, uh, front and center, that seems to be the one that has the early momentum based on history. But now as it picks up again under the Trump administration, I think that's the one that might move forward first. I agree. I think that's the most obvious one. 
particularly because Masayoshi's son will be the most motivated of anyone, I think, to get a deal done. So he's got to be thinking, I, I, I just have to put the pressure on Deutsche Telekom as much as possible to get them to work with me. Scott Moritz, Bloomberg's wireless reporter, and Jerry Smith, Bloomberg media reporter, on what should be a very interesting next couple weeks in the telco industry. That'll do it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, You can catch all of our episodes on iTunes or on Bloomberg.com or the Bloomberg Terminal. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. Also, follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Jerry, where can people find you on Twitter? Jerry F. Smith. And Scott? Moritz Dispatch. Sarah Patterson is our producer, Alec McCabe, head of podcast. See you next week. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.